Protecting students and teachers when they step into school is priority number one. On School Safety Today, a podcast from Raptor Technologies, we'll bring you the technologies and leadership that protects over 35,000 schools across the United States. Welcome to another episode of School Safety Today, presented by Raptor Technologies. I'm your host today, Bobby Brill, and with us is Michael Reidenbach, and it is going to be a very exciting uh, an eye-opening episode because we're going to talk about school safety and the the most important thing of you know you, Michael you're in charge of you know protecting our greatest asset our children so Michael thank you so much for being on the episode today yeah thanks for having me um, before we get deep into all of this can you just briefly walk us through your background and what brought you into this world of campus safety and education sure. Uh, so I'm a proud graduate of Clemson University, and while I was an undergraduate at Clemson, uh, I joined what the university calls their student patrol uh, division, which is part of the university police department. So I, I, I stayed with the student patrol throughout my undergraduate career, and then upon graduation, uh, shortly thereafter, went full-time with the university police as a, as a police officer. So I spent a few years there at the university, working my way into a sergeant's role responsible for crime prevention programming. Uh, after a while, I decided to move back home to the Charleston area and went to work for the Mount Pleasant Police Department. After spending some time on patrol, uh, became a school resource officer, where I was actually able to go be the SRO at the high school where I graduated from. So it was really cool <laughs> to be able to go and work with the same principal I had as a student and a lot of the same teachers and administrators. And I just really enjoyed working in the educational environment, being able to, to work with the students and teachers, really the community aspect that a, that a school environment provided. And while an SRO, an opportunity came uh, open at the Charleston County School District, uh, where I am today, and I was uh, fortunate enough to be selected. So I came to work in the security and emergency management office uh, as a deputy director at the time, uh, and that was in 2013. And then I've been uh, leading uh, this team since 2017. Wow. So that, you know, we're, I want you to just briefly walk us through um, what SRO, just for those of us who aren't deep into the knowledge of it, what's SRO mean? Yeah, absolutely. So an SRO is a school resource officer. Okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a police officer that's, uh, that's assigned to a particular school or, 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 or a cluster of schools uh, to really do three main things. Number one, you're, of course, first and foremost, a police officer there to protect the campus. Uh, you're also there to serve as a uh, an informal counselor mediator, helping students and staff work through issues, hopefully before they become uh, to the point where it requires uh, formal police intervention. And then also to provide uh, law-related education, so to talk to students about uh, the law enforcement cr uh, profession, but also different uh, aspects that can be tied into uh, their, their curriculum. Oh, okay. Okay, great. So this is a, one of the most important parts of this and again correct me if i'm wrong if if i'm if i'm vastly simplifying this is normally from a um, from a law enforcement standpoint you're more reactive here you're working more to being proactive and preventative is that correct yeah absolutely especially when we look at the the SRO program which in my role now with the school district we 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 manage the SRO program and work really closely with our uh, law enforcement partners with that program, but such a big part of that program is that uh, that building that strong community partnership and that community foundation, whether that's with students or staff or their families, of really fostering a positive relationship between uh, those police officers and the community, so they they are working together to solve problems. Uh, they're not there to. Uh, to, to be that strong arm to arrest people. Uh, they're there to try to work through issues before they become to an arrest perspective. Uh, but of course, um, if an emergency does happen on the campus and they're there to immediately respond as well. 
Okay. Okay. So, you know, one of the many reasons we're talking to you to you today is you've been named as a finalist for the K-12 Campus Safety Director of the Year. So congratulations to that. I'm sure that was no small feat. Um, walk us through this idea um, further because you, you've explained SRO to us. Um, this has to be a massive undertaking. This is not one school. I mean, you're in charge of a school that's over 80,000 students and, uh, excuse me, over 50,000 students and over 80-some schools. How do you even begin to wrap your your head around really a small city? Yeah, so so our school resource officers help us immensely in that, in that regard, and we're really fortunate to have those great community partnerships um, with the, the four police agencies we work with in the county um, to provide that staffing. But then it's about really evaluating what your needs are and ensuring that you have the, the programs in place and the resources in place to address those needs, specifically related to uh, school safety. Um, you know, one of our big, uh, our big responsibilities is emergency preparedness and emergency planning in the school district. And, uh, you know, over the past couple of years, we undertook a, a significant project to uh, completely rewrite our emergency operations plan. And that process starts with conducting an assessment of not only what are your threats and hazards to ensure that you have the, the plans and resources in place to address those. And then what are your, what are your existing resources? What are your, what are your gaps that you need to try to fill? And then to work together with uh, a multidisciplinary team to, to create that plan and to deploy it. Because you can have a plan, but if your folks don't know what the plan is, they don't know how to put it into, into action, um, then it doesn't do you much good. So you have to have a, 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 a good way to get it out there, to get that training in place, and to really tailor that plan, which in our case is a district-level plan, to work at all of our 80-plus schools and, and the other sites that we have. And so it has to be tailored to that plan. And so we meet with staff on a regular basis to ensure that 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 they're familiar with it, that they know how to deploy it, and that it is tailored to those individual sites. Give me some examples of some of those plans you're working through and some of the training that goes through with it. I mean, you know, my mom was a teacher and, you know, I can't imagine her having to deal with, okay, there's an earthquake and let's deal with this and how that works. And, and teachers are, are so involved with so much, but now there is this extra um, skill set that they need to have and think about. Um, what are some of those skill sets that you're helping to train them in? Sure. And it's, you know, when, when a parent sends their child to school, we want to return their child to them exactly how they sent us and hopefully better. Right. I mean, and we take that responsibility incredibly serious. Um, not only our team, but all of our school staff members to know that keeping a child safe in our buildings is, is, is one of our, and perhaps the most important responsibility we have, right. Educating is our primary mission. Uh, but if we don't, uh, if, if we don't keep our, our folks safe, then everything else we do is, is for naught. Um, and so we, we want to make sure that staff have the training they need. And we do that through a variety of different ways. Um, every school staff member that comes to work at our school district goes through a, a, a safety briefing from our office um, as a part of their HR new hire orientation process. Uh, we do annual uh, training with our staff. Uh, we have to do it twice per year um, to refresh on, on various emergency procedures. And then we offer different training sessions that principals can utilize throughout the year uh, at their staff meetings. Additionally, we also have drills uh, that are scheduled throughout the year, um, you know, on, on a variety of different hazards. Uh, it could be an, an armed intruder or a lockdown drill. It could be an earthquake or a tornado um, or other type of weather event as well. And so we want to provide the training, but then also reinforce that training through the, uh, through the drills and exercises that we conduct uh, throughout the year. 
So some of these trainings, you know, this has become newer instances than, say, 15, 20, even 30 years ago. Um, how do you then work with, you know, specifically the staff and teachers who um, are not used to this? Um, how do you help them to get over the hurdle of having to, you know, hey, this is something we really do need to think about. Let's let me explain why. How do you what, what are some of those whys you're explaining to them? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the uh, one of the things we try to share in our training is, is is we're all about developing a mindset. It's not necessarily training to a bulleted list of here's step one, here's step two, but it's really trying to establish a mindset that can be applicable to a variety of emergency situations. So we want to assess the situation. What exactly is happening? We want to identify our options, identify our contingencies. If I do this, if I do this, you know, what might be the pros and cons of that response? And then what might I need uh, to enact those, those various responses. Um, and, the, and, and in all of those, trying to account for how do we limit um, the potential risk or potential impact on not only our people and their personal protection, but also on our mission, um, because uh, second to keeping people safe is to get that learning environment back up and running um, so kids are learning uh, in the classroom. And so it's really developing that mindset and also explaining that, that first and foremost, these lessons that we're teaching, these things we're teaching, you can really apply anywhere you are. Whether you're in the classroom with your kids, if you're a teacher, whether you're out in the shopping mall with your own kids, or whether you're at home by yourself, I mean, these are all kind of good, good things to to know. And it's not meant to uh, kind of use the old the the, the the saying that we're there to prepare but not scare. Mm. And so we don't want to to create a situation where you become infatuated or you become obsessed with with the risks. But we want you to feel empowered by the preparation so that you actually feel more confident and less anxious about these potential threats because you know, okay, if I do have to face this, I know what to do. And and mm, I'm and I'm right. better for it, and I'm better for that. Right. Yeah. It's it's not a I saw this in a movie. I think I know what I'm doing. Let's just run around and flailing our arms and things will be happening. It's like, no, we can actually take our steps and calmly go through this because that's what Michael taught us. Now we understand, (laughs) (laughs) you know, of course, you know, you know, in all this that we're talking about of things that, um, you know, we have to prepare for in our new society. Uh, Of course we have COVID. Um, This was of course, I'm sure just a total test of everybody's ability to train and get ready. Walk us through some of those um, challenges and some of the the things you learned when COVID came in and you had to then prepare for that. Sure. So, so one of the big things that helped us uh, initially um, was that we had really just completed a the development of our uh, district's first continuity of operations plan. So as a part of that kind of merge, that revision of our EOP, our emergency operations plan, we kind of had a process in parallel to develop that continuity of operations plan, which really had our departments in the mindset of how do I continue my particular department's mission within the district uh, in a remote fashion or outside of outside of my location where I'm normally assigned. And so being able to already have thought through how do we access our critical systems, uh, you know, what are our communication mechanisms when we're not all in the same place? Um, all of that was really, really helpful and, and took that off the plate when we had to think about the things that we had not contemplated, right? How are we going to educate children remotely for a prolonged period of time? Mm-hmm. Our, our, our coop planning had really focused on, on a much smaller window than, than we had faced um, with, with the COVID closures and the, and the, and the, the COVID emergency. So um, having, the, having the coop there helped us put, 
put those things out of our minds so that we could focus on those things like how are we going to educate children? How are we going to distribute Chromebooks safely? How are we going to clear out the lockers of mm. the students' contents that are still there? They need to come pick up because we our, our closure notice from the state came over the weekend. So when our students and staff left on Friday, they weren't expecting not to come back on Monday. Sure. Um, so how do, how do we do those things? And so, um, you know, like most others in the K-12 world, our team's focus really shifted significantly during that response, um, not only to look into physical security to how do we protect our assets while the buildings are empty, but then how do we help schools respond to this emergency uh, that we're seeing with COVID and developing the plans and protocols for the things I talked about. So how, how do we distribute items safely, Chromebooks, how do we distribute food safely, um, and those sorts of things. We were also tasked when the, when the vaccine came out of how do we get the vaccine out to our, our stakeholders who want it, right? So our, our staff, our parents, our, our students. Um, and so we uh, were tasked with working with our, our nursing services team and our medical providers for developing the, the logistics and operational plans for, uh, for those COVID vaccination clinics, which was really interesting. So, I mean, you had to build clinics. You had to build um ways for people to communicate and then come in and get it. This sounds very much like you're running the infrastructure of, you know, I said it before, a small city, but this really is, you've got all of the things that make up infrastructure to our way of life. You're managing this from a school perspective. Is that uncommon uh, to think of a school as part of our infrastructure or is that just how things have evolved now? Uh, if it has not been that way in the past, I certainly think it is now. I mean, we're when you look at the, the cities in Charleston County, we're certainly one of the most highly populated when our schools are in session. If you look at our, you know, the population of our facilities across the district um, with our students and staff and volunteers and visitors and contractors. And so we as a school district have to ensure that we have the services in place um, to provide uh provide the services that our population needs, right? Our students, our staff, and, and then that's even um, expanded and we start talking about bus transportation and how our uh, infrastructure needs go mobile um, out, out into the communities. And, and that's where community partnerships become really key um, and having those good relationships with, um, with our public safety partners, police, fire, EMS, emergency management. Um, but then, uh, you know, during COVID, it was, it was um, a, a a positive takeaway is our ability to, to create new partnerships with folks we had not worked with as, as much in the past. So our nursing services team who we had worked with, but we became really close to um, during COVID. And then our medical partners of working with, you know, our hospital emergency management teams um, and others in the medical profession really, really created some new, uh, new relationships and strengthened ones that had existed in the past. Okay. Okay. That, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. That's now that now we're really doing it every day now. Every single day we're, we're, we're focusing on this. Um, of course, technology, you know, has always been hailed as the great hero to save the day. But I think everybody has seen, uh, as you know, I'm, in, I'm on the West Coast, you're on the East Coast, technology really is starting to save the day. What are some of the emergency, uh, excuse me, some of the emergency communication equipment and different technologies that you brought into the district um, to help build support and to help manage all of this that's going on? Yeah, so, I, you know, on a, on a day-to-day perspective, when we look at our school safety program, you know, obviously technology is, is a big part of that. Um, and, and we want to use technologies that will bring value um, and, and add to this, the safety of our campuses um, and increase the efficiency with which we can respond to emergencies. Uh, so, so, you know, some examples uh, that our office manages 
Um, so we, we manage the, the two-way radio systems for our district, both at the district level radio system, but then also at the, the school-based radios. Uh, our office manages the assets for our surveillance uh, cameras, for our, our electronic access controls. Um, and then we have some other you know, incident management tools that our office uses. Um, and even um, in conjunction with local public safety, we've integrated systems together um, to, to increase the speed with which we can share information and, and pass along critical data during emergency situations. And, and so um, we don't want to get a system just to say we have a system, right? I mean, the, the, the key value add is that it's a system that you're going to use every day um, and hopefully a system that, that addresses a, a variety of hazards. And it's not just a system t tailored to just one particular threat. We want it to have value across a variety of different situations we can have. Because in many cases, these are systems that um, it's, it's kind of a use it or lose it mentality, that if you, if you don't use it every day, you don't integrate it into your daily uh, routine, uh, you're not going to be able to use it effectively during an emergency. If that's the first sure, time in a right. year you've, you've touched it. Um, and so, so leveraging the existing systems we have um, during crises is, is really important. And then, you know, obviously, um, you know, virtual learning, uh, virtual meetings and all of that um, have, have been a great addition um, just to increase efficiency even of, of able to have meetings with your, your public safety partners, not having to get together. You can do it a lot quicker. Um, and, and, you know, even reduce travel time. And when you, as you're explaining to us, it makes perfect sense. I'm, I'm a parent. So to me, the first thing I think is, well, as much safety equipment as you can possibly put in there is, is not enough. You need more, always more. How do you then uh, garner support for this from your level, working with the district, working with all the community partners and, and everybody involved? How do you go about um, convincing and finding the support to make this all happen? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the big thing is to be able to show the value. I mean, to be able to, to express to our, our staff, our teachers, our administrators, um, and, you know, in the case of a, of a system just, just for emergency responders to, to district leaders, how that will enhance um, our response and ultimately enhance uh, the safety of the campus. And so it's getting that stakeholder buy-in um, and, and having them understand what your challenges are and what particular situation is and how this piece of technology will address that challenge without creating another layer of, of burden or, you know, say bureaucracy, you know, you don't want to yeah. create another layer of complication on top of a response that in the end is only going to cause problems and, and not add a significant amount of, of value um, to what you're looking at. So, um, you know, deployment is always a, uh, a significant aspect of when we evaluate a system is how easy is it to, to deploy. Um, mm. You know, when we have, uh, 80 some odd schools with 6,000 staff members. Is it something that's going to require us to issue a login to every staff member? And is that something we have to manage by hand? Or is that something that's automated? And does it integrate it with the systems we're already using? So is there something that a teacher is already familiar with or an administrator is familiar with that this system will integrate with uh, and provide you know, services on top of that system? Um, and so all those things we look at when making the business case for uh, this being a system that we need to pursue. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Can you give me some examples of um, some of the technology that you brought in that uh, was a little bit of a more, had a challenge in bringing in, but really turned out to be something that uh, was adopted easily or, or, or well? 
So what, one challenge we looked at was uh, related to our district-wide radio communications. And so we were uh, previously operating on a system that the school district owned that had one radio tower that, that provided a radio coverage for the entire district. And, you know, we weren't getting the end building coverage. We really were, were, were looking for when we talk about emergency management and being able to coordinate with our staffs effectively in, in, the, in the buildings countywide. Uh, we didn't have that interoperability we were looking for, um, you know, with public safety agencies. And so we, we approached our, our county government who owns the local public safety uh, radio system and, uh, and, and proposed us joining their radio system. And, and some roadblocks to the past had been cost um, and, and user fees and those sorts of things. And they, were, uh, they, they saw the benefit. They were really excited about the, the opportunity to, to be able to create the interoperability. Um, and they saw that it was a system that, that's, you know, our schools aren't going to be using it every day, all day. So it's going to create very little traffic on their system. Uh, at least that's our goal, right? Um, and so we were able to partner with them um, to, to transition all of our county radio uh, communications, countywide communications from our district-owned system to the county system. And that required a, a, a fairly significant capital investment on the front end um, to replace the radio equipment. Um, you know, the, the, the initial deployment of the district-owned uh, radio equipment, you know, was starting to reach, um, it had some age on it, had some sure. years. The technology does, does have to be updated. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so we met the good cycle, we met, met a good time in that, in that cycle. And then we were able to make the case to, to leadership of all the benefits um, and the support we had from public safety and, and get that project through. So that was something that um, this is our first school year um, being fully integrated with the county system. We're excited about that. Oh wow, that that is amazing because yeah, you know when you're dealing with when you, anytime you say I got to deal with the county, it's like oh okay, all right, this is <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be serious. All right, okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> emerging trends in school safety because I'm sure now this has become a growing industry uh, and emergency management planning. Um, what are some things that you've been focusing on or things that you're seeing that you go oh wow this is this is really going to help us in the near future and in the long term. Yeah, I think when, when we look at trends across school safety, I, you know, for many years, we spent a lot of time talking about active shooter and, mm -hmm. and talking about the, the, the individual who is coming into a populated place to kill or hurt as many people as they possibly can, um, whether that's with a, with a gun or with any sort of other type of weapon. Um, I think as we, as we look at trends right now and what a lot of communities are facing is we're seeing a lot of targeted violence. We're, we're seeing a, a prevalence of handguns, a prevalence of guns in the possession of children and of kids um, and, and the use of those guns to solve conflict. Um, and so we see a, a community conflicts um, or it could be conflicts that are, that are gang related or just two individuals who are, who are beefing um, and, and they decide to use a gun to solve that conflict. And, you know, our schools are a reflection of our community, issues that are community problems are school problems and issues that are school problems are community problems. Right. And so um, when we look at the responses, our responses in our schools are, are pretty similar, right? I mean, if we have somebody with a gun who's firing on the campus, we're probably going to respond in the same way. But when we look at the way we, we manage conflict and we manage uh, situations that, that may present themselves in a more... Um, in a more innocent way, like a verbal disturbance in the hallway, or even something that goes that, that escalates to a physical altercation in the hallway. You know, I think we have to be cognizant of how that may further escalate, um, and try to ensure that we're doing a doing a good assessment of that situation um, and providing interventions in place to stop the conflict from escalating. And so, um, you know, I think we're still going to be talking about you know campus shootings and those sorts of things, 
that we may be integrating more into the conversation, the idea of these uh, of these targeted acts of violence, um, where it's somebody coming on the campus with a gun looking for one particular person or a, a small group and then intending to flee or not necessarily wanting to harm anybody else. But then, of course, we have to worry about, you know, people getting cross, get caught in the in the crossfire. Sure. Well. So that, that that mix of, you know, this is an emergency. How do are we are we bringing in in extreme measures or is this a soft skills measure, so to say, so to speak? Yeah, th- this is one that's that's is one of those really complex problems that's going to take a lot of people mm-hmm. at the table. Right. And so uh, so that's something that, uh, you know, a school district can't solve alone. It's going to sure. have to be. Uh, parents involved, the community groups involved, uh, you know, churches and, and community organizations, um, and your local your local municipalities and, and county governments. Um, we're we're really fortunate, as I mentioned, to have great relationships with our with our public safety partners, our four police agencies that give us SROs, and you know, some school districts employ their SROs directly. Um, South Carolina is different, where we get we have to get all of our SROs from the local government, so they all work for another police agency. Um, but the benefit that brings to us is that those are the same police officers also responding to uh, the shooting over the weekend in the neighborhood, or they're responding to that neighborhood disturbance. And so we're able to get that intelligence from them pretty, pretty efficiently. And it's not uncommon for, for one of our police partners to call a member of our team over the weekend to share, hey, here's what's happened in the neighborhood. Here's the call we responded to. You know, we may want to think about some potential bleed over on Monday or put some things into place. We may need to talk to this person before Monday so that it doesn't go into the school. Um, and so those partnerships, not only with police, but getting that in- information from our families of developing that positive school culture inside the building so that our, our students feel comfortable uh, coming to talk to us about it. Um, because early intervention is the key. We, we, we talked about equipment um, early on, but our people are really our key to keeping a, keeping a, a, a campus safe getting that intelligence, building those positive relationships, and ultimately helping all of us work through issues so they don't escalate to the point where we're talking about a tragedy. Wow. That, that's, that's tremendous. And I, I've got to ask you, you know, give me your, your final thoughts on where this is going. Because, I mean, everything you're telling me just makes me want to go, great. If I see you, I got to give you a hug. You're, help, you're keeping the kids safe. But, you know, you're talking about things like technology, soft skills, communication, things that seem very expensive, but at the same time, no, this is just, we're using our tools to help better spend our time. So, you know, to wrap it up, you know, what, what's the best practice as for what you see, what parents can be thinking about with their students in school? Yeah, you know, it, it, it takes time and effort and it takes sustained time and effort. This is not a conversation that we should only have after a tragedy happens. Um, oftentimes there's a lot of conversation after, after a major incident and then things start to wane and complacency sets in and, and, and safety sometimes, you know, may take a backseat to, to other priorities. And again, we don't want it to, to dominate people's thought processes, but it just needs to be built into your daily routines and your daily thoughts. Um, there needs to be that ongoing partnership and ongoing dialogue. Um, you know, when, when we talk about, um, you know, technology solutions and we work with, with our technology partners to create those solutions, you know, of, of partnering with them, they, they have the front lines of what are the emerging technologies and what's new and what are the new feature sets. And so bringing those forward to, uh, to customers, to districts to say, I don't know if this will, if, if you want to consider this, but here's something we, you know, we found that, that may interest you. Um, and, you know, thanks to Raptor for being a great partner for, the, for our school district for many, many years um, and helping us along the way uh, with, with various challenges. But at the end of the day, it takes everybody partnering together, of working together. 
um, you know, sometimes having having tough discussions, um, but ultimately working together for the, the ultimate goal of keeping our, our, our students and our staff safe um, and, and continuing to put the work in. You know, we, we may solve today's crisis and be successful, but we can't we can't take a victory lap. The work's never done. We have to keep on it and keep working together. Oh, that excellent, Michael. That is you know great advice for us to be thinking about. So again, that is Michael Reidenbach, who is the Executive Director of Security and Emergency Management at the Charleston County School District in South Carolina. So again, thank you so very much for being on this episode. Thanks so much for having me.